You're listening to the Contract Heroes Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things contract management. And now here are your hosts, Mark and Pepe. So thanks so much for joining us. Um, you know, it, it's been a crazy couple of days here. I'm, I'm sure that you've been walking the trade floor a little too much. Um, so thanks for sitting down with us. But first off, let me ask you this. What, what do you think? Is this your first time coming to Clock? No, th- thank you for having me on the on the podcast. This is my second time. Uh, I came uh, in 2019, pre-pandemic. That was the first. This is my second. Okay. So uh, how has it changed since the first time you were here? Um, surprisingly, it hasn't changed not, that much. Not at all? <laughs> not, not really. I mean, I think the, the layout's the same. Um, I don't remember the walking being so much, <laughs> but uh, I could always use getting the steps in. Before this, we were talking about kind of the the legal space at at Boeing, and you were talking about how you you don't own the contracts there, right? You're just kind of a part of the process. So I I know you've only been there for a handful of months, but how is that laid out? Does a a team own the contracts, or is it just an enterprise-wide kind of focus where everybody owns their, their own contracts? Each of the businesses themselves own uh, the contract relationship, whether it's on the buy or the sell side. Um, And then there's a corporate function that's responsible for indirect supply chain. And that's really where I've started, um, having only come to Boeing in the last six months. It's trying to assist our our attorneys with a more structured approach to the receipt tracking, monitoring, mining of the contracts coming into them from the indirect supply chain, recognizing that we're only one element of it, meaning that there's not only attorneys, but we also have privacy professionals, uh, global trade professionals, uh, other parts of the law and global compliance organization that play a role. Uh, When we sat down to, to map it out, we not only invited those elements to the workshop, but we also invited the uh, indirect supply chain, as well as the contracts and risk management team, which is another team that, that owns the pro formas, so that everyone is aligned, because it's really important to understand, or it was important for me that the tail wasn't wagging the dog. It's interesting that you know, you've sat down and kind of mapped that out. So did you map that out internally before you started looking at CLMs? Or was that kind of the process once you had, had picked a solution and you moved forward and you started mapping that out once once you started implementing the solution? As far as I understand it, uh, Boeing procured the CLM solution many years before okay. I got there. And there's one business that has been implementing it. As we sat down map- mapping out what the, what the process was for the indirect uh, supply chain, we were looking at one potential uh, workflow solution. But as we launched the workflow, as we invited the, the team that implemented the CLM solution for the commercial business, we realized that whatever we were looking at originally probably wasn't ideal because we'd have to do a two-step implementation. And the team was very adamant, and I have to agree, that what was the purpose of putting in place a temporary structured workflow when at the end of the day we were looking to do a, a, a much broader end-to-end solution. So you guys just decided to jump in the deep end and, and kind of really try to implement everything all at once? Uh, as I said, most of it's already been. Okay. Imp- well, so the commercial side has implemented it. They have not fully implemented it in a way in which the business legal attorneys are engaging in the platform yet. And we're looking to leverage their 
meaning the, the IT and the, the commercial um, contracts teams, experience and lessons learned as we go ahead and try and eat the whole elephant from an indirect yeah. supply chain standpoint. Okay. So there was a, a little bit of a phased approach there. Correct. You know, went out, went out with other teams first. And I mean, what would you say that some of the biggest challenges that, that you're facing, maybe not just with the implementation, just in general, that, that you see on a day-to-day -day basis, what does that kind of entail? Well, I think part of it is that there's a lot to do. Um, <laughs> and so it's really working with people and prioritizing uh, the initiatives that we have with the limited resources, whether those are people or, or dollars. Um, and it's making sure that there's this strong alignment, not only across the, the functional teams for whatever process we're looking at, but also with IT because they're responsible for budgeting, implementation, uh, integrations. And so there's a lot of moving pieces and it's really just learning the organization. I spent 12 years at my prior company. I knew most of the players. I could go straight to them, uh, describe what I was trying to do, understand how the bureaucracy works. Part of it is just learning uh, and networking and, and, and getting that, uh, that two-way trust between uh, my colleagues. Yeah. Right. I really like how we just kick off with this uh, uh, with this chat, so and when you said that the contracts are not owned by legal, right? So we we've seen that actually with 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 a lot of of our customers and and also looking at the focus that a lot of CLM vendors are doing uh, regarding how other stakeholders inside the company, such as procurement, for example, or uh, supply chain, or or even sales, right? So, which are like the main pain points that you see, I mean, besides inside the legal team, uh, in the other uh, commercial departments, and how do you think those can be solved using a CLM solution? Well, I think part of it is just a lot of white space in between, we use a lot of emails, right. and so you just can imagine an email goes into a procurement agent, it sits for a couple of days until someone gets it. It then needs to work through the process. There's no no less than 10 diff other functions that need to weigh in on whether or not uh, there's some element of privacy or global trade or insurance or some other risk that we're trying to mitigate. That has to be worked many times uh, in, in serially rather than parallel. Uh, eventually it will get to legal maybe or may not uh, have questions. It will go back and forth on email, lots of white space, not a lot of transparency in the process. Version control can be challenging at times. I think there's a myriad of challenges when you have an unstructured approach and email is your process. I mean, especially at such a large company, right? There's, there's a lot of different departments. There's a lot of moving parts in, in an organization like, like Boeing. And, you know, I'm just curious to hear your perspective and I think maybe our listeners might be too about moving from you know you were at a company in the space right and you moved over to a new corporation so you were saying how it's been maybe not difficult but just probably time consuming to understand how your role plays into that that corporation so I mean how have you incorporated yourself in trying to interact with other people and I'm, a lot of people virtual still and you're you know trying to meet with them how has it been fitting into the new role and, and trying to, to work in the new organization? Well, you know, I'm blessed to have a chief legal officer and a, and a vice president whose, you know, direction to me at the beginning was take the first six months and really learn the organization, meet the people. And so I had the chance to go around the company, 
eight major sites, talked to 350 plus uh, attorneys, paralegals, support staff, non-legal professionals, and really start understanding what the pain points were, meeting people face to face in most instances. So I've had the opportunity to really take a step back and look at it holistically and try and understand, okay, where, where are some of the low hanging fruit that we can go and try and attack quickly, but also at the same time, how do those things hang off of a larger strategy, a lar larger vision as we try and modernize and, and move ourselves forward. And, and what are those long hanging fruits? Well, I think some of that is just workflows that we can we can put in place, uh, normalization with IT in terms of budgeting. As an organization, I don't think this is this is too different than other large companies. Uh, the law and global compliance organization is fairly new. You're, we're, we're a Frankenstein of different organizations right. that were pulled and shoved together because of the needs uh, to, to to mitigate risk and the and the legal pressures at that time. And now taking the time to say, okay, that was the right decision to make. How do we now optimize the organization? Where do we see that it would be beneficial to have uh, some sort of cord up capability? Where does it make sense where there's coordination and uh, collaboration? And where should the practice areas or the, or the, and the subject matter experts really just be able to engage with their, their clients with as minimum amount of administrative pressure upon them as possible. My job's solely to make them better. How can they be effective and efficient and at the end of the day go home just a little bit happier? <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> right. And, and I think like a lot of those uh, low-hanging fruits comes, I mean, it depends on what part of the contract life cycle process, right? We were just talking about like there's a lot of email going on, especially on the contract request phase. So mm -hmm. maybe like uh, automatic and dy dynamic intake form, depending on the type of contract, will be like a solution in order to save time, right? In, in, instead of just writing an email requesting a contract. And that's it, right? And uh, But thinking about like now post-signature phase, like do you see any uh, maybe uh, important KPIs that uh, legal ops needs to have like very clear that it's going to be useful for the uh, CLO or maybe for the BP on legal or that, that they usually have to report to maybe finance teams, right? Like, can, can, can you give us like some, some examples of, uh, of some KPIs that, that can be useful? Well, KPIs that are useful is how close are we to budget uh, for outside counsel and we partner very heavily with finance. They do a fabulous job. Nor in my prior company, a lot of the work had to be done by the legal operations team. It's great to have a partner in finance who's really on top of it, really can predict yeah. and project. You know, working with HR in terms of uh, resourcing, where do we have gaps? Uh, where do we need to bring in uh, headcount? Where do we have headcount pressures? How do we make sure that all our gaps uh, from a legal and compliance uh, perspective are uh, carefully um, analyzed and um, the right people are put in the right places? Uh, I have not been able to implement as many KPIs as I'd want, uh, particularly around uh, law firm spend. I think there's a real uh, opportunity to understand how we're staffing our, our cases and where do we really find efficiency, not from a cost perspective, but from a value perspective. And sometimes it may be a cost play, but it's really about how quickly can we get to the right result with quality. Right. And 
let me change it uh, a little bit because we've seen a lot of well not CLMs we we can talk about we, we can keep talking about automation right like business process managers like you just like built a lot of workflows and, and we've seen a lot uh, of those implementation trying to tackle uh, manual work for compliance purposes you know and now that a lot of companies are very uh, worry about getting certified like being ESG, you know, like do you see any opportunities for uh, maybe not just consulting firms, but for uh, vendors that are looking to uh, automate or to make this type of compliance reports uh, easily for the compliant team or for the or for the legal team? I always think there's opportunities for automation. It's really trying to understand what how the companies work and where the data comes from. I mean, ESG is a perfect example. Unless you have some sort of coordinating function, it's really hard to get at all the right data necessary for reporting. And each company may report it slightly differently. So something that's highly configurable, something that would create the dashboard that matches the, um, the commitments that the companies made to the board or to the street, I think is, is really important. And it's not always about automation too. I think low-hanging fruit for example, looking at the integrated supply chain, there's some steps that we can do before we even automate. So part of my uh, vision or, or discussion is how do you lower the volume coming through and raise the difficulty of the stuff coming to legal? So it's a funnel. Right. And so some of those are checklists, whether you're working with an HR professional that says, this is the decision tree you need to come down. If you get to point A and you haven't talked to compensation, for example, don't come to legal. Or if there's a policy out there, go read the policy. Legal doesn't own the policy. We should not be stepping into that white space to tell you what the policy is supposed to mean. That's for the policy owner to do. So it's really about how does the right work get to legal? How do we deflect work that makes sense upstream, either to the policy owner uh, or to the, the, the requester? or that we can put into some sort of knowledge bank that people can go to and get a quick answer to, but to be careful that we're not replacing good legal advice with some sort of wiki, because that's not gonna work. So one last question, Sol, and so we've been talking a lot with few in-house, well, a lot of in-house departments that they still, let's call it, operate in a traditional way. They don't have like a legal operation team inside uh, their organization. And a lot of general counsel are trying to make like a business case so, so, so they can present to maybe the CFO or, or to the CEO, right? On how having a legal operations team can help the company. What would you recommend to those general counsels that are like trying to build uh, their own legal operations team and how it will make sense for uh, uh, somebody inside the financial team, for example? Well, I think you have to step back and, and look at what the work is that your attorneys are doing. Look for pain points that your, your client, your internal business partners might have. Your internal business partners can your big, be your biggest advocates right. in supporting the general counsel, particularly if they say, you know, I keep on submitting the contracts and it takes forever to get them or it gets routed the wrong way or finance is saying I'm not hitting my, my budget, right? These are aspects of work that you really don't want an attorney to be doing, in my opinion, unless they're an attorney that, that wants to go into business operations. Because business operations takes a, a, a different a different form. You want your attorneys to be thinking about legal matters and applying 
you know, they're highly paid people to do really complex work. And so uh, you have to ask a CEO who says, well, yeah, that, that it makes sense to have an attorney do that. I don't think there's many CEOs out there that will do that. And then there's also benchmarking data. Gartner has information, ACC, Clock. There's lots of other other people in the industry to go talk to and find ways to uh, sell the message to the C-suite. Yeah, and I think that's what we're seeing, right? Is it, you know, whatever you're implementing, any legal tech, you know, legal tech, it, it shouldn't be just for legal. It should be for everybody. And you need to get those other departments involved. So you, do, you, you have to have their buy-in. You know, your, your project's probably not going to work out if you implement something just for your department and then try to bring in those business processes later. So it's definitely what we talk about all the time. So, so I, I appreciate the conversation. This has been awesome. Thanks well, thank for you very us. much for the invitation. All right. Thanks, to everybody, for listening to another episode of Contract Heroes. This episode of the Contract Heroes is sponsored by Coho Consulting. Coho helps organizations of all shapes and sizes find, implement, and manage their chosen CLM tool. Whether your project is buy or sell side led, Coho can help you navigate the waters of the CLM space to make sure that you're getting a product that's going to fit like a glove for years to come. If you'd like to learn more about Coho, visit their website at kohoconsulting.com. Thank you.